Good afternoon and thank you so much for being with us on this Tuesday, January 17th. We are starting the show talking about a vote at the Park Board and this has to do with the controversial Stanley Park bike lane and what it might look like moving forward. And joining us to talk more about this is Angela Hare, an ABC Vancouver Park Board Commissioner. Commissioner, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you for having me. I know you brought forward an emergency motion at the Park Board meeting last night. Can you explain what that motion was? Right. We uh, brought brought forward the motion because there was um, some um, suggestions made by the staff members at the Park Board that at certain points that uh, were introduced during COVID might be of advantage to Vancouverites. And um, considering traffic floor accessibility and safety for all users, including um, elderly, seniors and families, people who drive cars, buses and bikes as well. So with this motion, we just want to take a little closer look at what their suggestions are and not to dismiss them. And um, it might be of advantage to all people. That's why. All right. So when we look, though, at what is going to be happening with the Stanley Park mm-hmm. bike lane, because not long after the civic elections, one of your fellow mm-hmm. commissioners, Scott Jensen, was on this program saying the priority was mm-hmm. going to be to return that park to the pre-COVID configuration. So is that still happening? Correct. Um, that has not changed. Like if you look at the motion carefully, in um, Section A, it says without unduly delay the removal of the work or, or um, materially increase the cost. So we're we're still going going forward with the removal, and nothing's going to be delayed. Uh, we're looking at March for removal of um, the the bike lane, but we're looking at other sites. For example, a good example would be um, the tea house. Right, so they've changed configuration where you're entering the park from the south end. So there's a little better flow going into that section, and people are also able to exit their cars or buses to the right side of their vehicles, which means you're actually exiting towards the restaurant. So stuff like that. That's just common sense, right? Like, why would you change that? And then instead of, let's say you can't find parking, instead of looping through, like looping back into Stanley Park and back around, you're actually just looping through the parking lot and coming back around. So just little things like that, you know, it just makes sense. It's, it's, we're, not, we're, not, we're not delaying anything. The bike lane's still being removed. We're keeping our promises. We hear everybody. We want to meet your guys' needs. Uh, we just want to consider some, some common sense changes that might have been made. We want to take those into consideration. Right. And even at the time, I know when Scott Jensen was talking about this, I, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but I think that the gist of it was he said there could be parts of this that that could stay or there could be a reconfiguration or, yes, we're going to remove this, but there 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 is still going to be a need or there will likely still be a need in some parts of Stanley Park Drive to maybe have a, a separated lane to, to accommodate everybody. So is it your understanding then with, with your motion passed past and passing unanimously is mm-hmm. it removing everything there so removing it and putting it back to pre-pandemic levels and then figuring out if things need to be added or if there needs to be parts of stanley park drive that do need to be separated so what we've suggested is that we are moving ahead and um and going ahead with the pre-covid um configuration however like i said the tea house right like mm-hmm. a 
points or, or, or areas like this, we will actually consider keeping it as this. There's no point in going pre-COVID and going back and going, wow, this, this was actually a really great idea and it worked well and it was actually better flow and traffic flowed better. You know, there was no backup, right? Right. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to decongest the park and um, keep traffic flowing. So why, why would we go back and then and have regrets? So we're, we're, get, we're getting all the facts together. So that if there's some key points to the park that might be better for safety, better for flow, better for the public, right? Uh, we want to we take all the facts together or, or, or gather all the facts and, and then make those decisions as well. But nothing's getting delayed. We're still removing the bike lane. It's everything's moving forward. So it's, it's being fiscally responsible. A lot of taxpayer money has gone into this as well. So we want to, like I said, instead of uh, making these decisions and coming back to them and having some regrets, we're, we're looking at all the facts as we go along. Right? So. right. And that makes a lot of sense for sure. Of uh, course. Yeah. When you talk about being fiscally responsible, one of the, the price tag that was floated earlier was around the, I think it was around the $425,000 uh, price tag for, for doing this. Is there a, a new number or do you know what the bill could potentially be to do this work? No, if anything, it should decrease. I mean, if we're not removing everything, um, for example, the, I'm going to go back to the tea house because everyone is familiar with this and the loop around it. If you're not removing that portion, well, then it's going to stay as is, right? So that portion probably would be reconsidered. Again, the staff has not come back with new numbers for us, but um, our guess is that we could save some money. And uh, I know our city likes to do that too, right? A little bit. But it's not gonna. It's not gonna be the decisive decision on how we're proceeding with the removal of the bike lane. The, the bike lane is being removed. It was a temporary. It was a temporary bike lane, so we're going ahead with that regardless. It's not going to be the price point that determines that. It was our promise to our voters that determined that. Right. Mm-hmm. And what do you think then? What was it about this motion? And I, I know this this may be a better question for, for Tom Digby, <laughs> but Tom Digby, who was opposed to this originally, uh, the original idea of the removal, uh, he, he spoke at the meeting last night. He did end right. up voting in favor of the motion. He even referred to it as an about face from what was put forward six weeks ago. But it sounds like like what you're saying is this isn't an about face. No, not at all. It's not. Um, thank you for Digby for supporting us. We didn't need his support. It would, it would have been a majority regardless. Um, maybe he was in a good mood. He supported all of our motions that night. <laughs> so the running joke is that maybe switching over to ABC. But um, yeah, this is this is more about not just only keeping our promises, but having a common sense approach to looking at all the facts. Our staff members here at City of Vancouver are working really hard to make sure that we go ahead with this. Um, the motion has been passed. We're looking at March to get this removed. And again, um, if we could make traffic flow even better, um, that's, what, that's, that's what our goal is here, right? We want to move forward. And uh, there might be some point that we need to look a little bit, um, you know, the certain, certain areas of the Stanley Park that we want to look a little bit even deeper and say, is this the best for people who are getting out of cars, getting in, a, in cars, for the disabled population, for buses, for even businesses? So, you know, our goal is to keep traffic flowing. Just like Scott Jensen had said, we want to make sure traffic is flowing. Our, our goal is to uh, pre-COVID uh, pre- uh, as much as possible. 
But, um, you know, there might be a couple of places that might be better for us, better for flow of traffic. So better for businesses, better for the tour buses. You know, we want to look at all the facts. And when you mentioned tour buses, is that part of the plan as well to make it so that tour buses can return to the park? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, we're, we're, we're promising to um, make it easier for them to come back and also opening up the parking spaces. So this is pretty close to pre-COVID as you can get. But we're also progressive. We want to look at what other spots, what other areas um, they might have improved on. And we might, it might be in our, in our advantage, in, in the public's advantage, to keep those um, certain spots. And again, considering traffic flow, safety is a big issue, right? Safety for the cars, safety for people getting out of their cars, safety for the bikes too at times. And again, accessibility. Right. And I don't know if it, the motion goes into the, the detail, but I'm curious as well if, if there is a plan when we're talking about the bike lane. So returning it back to what it was like pre-COVID. But like you said, there may be some spots where maybe a tweak is needed or maybe there there is going to be some something that it will look a little different. Uh, going into the park right now, uh, I mean, unless you really like orange cones, I find that the cones <laughs> throughout the park, you have this beautiful jewel of a park and these cones are eyesores. I mean, they're really ugly is there a plan that that if there are changes or tweaks that it that it's not going to be this lane with all of these orange traffic cones yeah absolutely not we're not we're not going to be keeping the cones and 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 even um the the staff at the park board have expressed this was a temporary bike lane that's why there's cones cones are temporary they're never permanent so they're definitely going to be removed so aesthetically we are moving towards back to what stanley park is all about which was coming through a beautiful area, beautiful park that was very zen. So I, I completely agree with you. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident so do the rest of our commissioners and, and so does uh, the staff at the, at the park board. Yes, they are coming out. All right. Angela Harris, yeah. thank you so much for joining us and for bringing us up to date on what was discussed yeah. and voted on at Park Board. Look forward to chatting with you more about this. Anytime, anytime. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, if you have ever been to Sassamat Lake, you know it is a beautiful spot and people like to take advantage of that year-round. There should definitely be some public public buy-in to this. So I would hope that uh, the public has a, has a say in whatever uh, decision they, they decide to make. I think it's not just an entertainment place for us. It's also really functional in terms of getting good exercise, getting out and doing, getting some fresh air. So we'd really miss the uh, the availability of something like this as close as it is to where we live. So I think it'd be, you know, bad for Port Moody and Anmore in the region as well as just, you know, just kind of generally for folks that come out here in the summertime just to enjoy a run or a swim in the water, which is really nice. So just a couple of people that were out in that area when Global News was asking about any concerns about the future of Sassamat Lake after revelations that the aging dam could either be decommissioned or removed or replaced, and that could have a big impact on that popular spot. Well, Megan Lottie joins us now, the mayor of the city of Port Moody. Mayor Lottie, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Well, I know this is something that council has discussed as well, or at least brought up to talk about. So we're talking about a dam. It's owned by Imperial Oil. What are the concerns about Sassamat Lake right now? Well, I mean, the the, the first that we heard about this was on last Tuesday uh, at the council meeting. But I under, as I understand it, the um, Metro Vancouver has been discussing this with, with IOCO for a while. 
I mean, we're concerned about a number of different things, um, including the, the the impact on the ecosystem, flooding, uh, and also the impact on recreation op- opportunities at the lake. And what have you heard so far then about concerns about the dam? <clears throat> oh well, I mean, like I said, there there's plants, wildlife, organisms, nutrient cycles, energy flows that could be interrupted if the dam is. Too, they, so what we've heard is that the dam will. They're looking at either decommissioning it and uh, removing it. Um, I believe that that Metro Vancouver is looking at a way that they can somehow um, take over responsibility, perhaps maybe um, decommission it from its use and but still have it in place so that it is so that the lake is not impacted. Right. Okay. Uh, well, how much of a of an impact would that have, or or how important is Sassamat Lake to Port Moody? Well, I mean, it is in Port Moody, but it is also a metro park. But it's important. It is important. Um, it's from an um, environmental perspective. The uh, <clears throat> and it is also important from a recreation perspective. Right, because it does get for people that maybe aren't familiar with this lake. It does get pretty packed and pretty busy in the summer months, doesn't it? Oh yes. I mean, from a recreation perspective, it is very heavily. Used and it's not just used by people that live in Port Moody. It's used by people from throughout the region as being a Metro Vancouver Park. Um, it is there is a heavy. Uh, they have a vested interest in ensuring that that park is maintained in its present state for the enjoyment of all the residents. And like you mentioned as well, not only a recreational spot for people, but also a, an important part of the environment and an important part of nature. Yeah, as I said, I mean, there's plants, there's wildlife, there's organisms that rely on the ecosystem that is there, that is it's present at this time. I mean, that's not to say that you can't find a new balance, but I think that there's a lot of other external factors that could potentially impact this environment. So it, when it comes to, um, so those types of things concern me when it comes to talking about making those types of significant changes. Another big concern is flooding. Um, they confirmed that rain coupled with snowmelt will cause flooding, and that will further degradate, degradation of the ecosystem as they exist today. So uh, that is another external factor that, that could bring some severe impacts. And do you feel, is, is Port Moody being consulted enough, or are you part of the discussions enough? Like you said, even though it is a Metro Vancouver park and it is, it's uh, the dam that's run or owned by Imperial Oil, uh, it, it is in Port Moody, and, and Port Moody residents and people all around will be impacted by this. Well, I think that, they, you know, their first step was to come to us and let us know. We, you know, our message back to them was that we believe that there needs to be more um, consultation um, I'm confident that um, that there can be a solution reached that will um, not only um, assist in maintaining that the integrity of that area, but um, also meet the needs of, of the IOCO. I mean, it's understandable from a business case that they don't want to continue that liability and maintenance uh, for that infrastructure because they don't need it. It's been there for 100 years and they don't need it anymore. So we need to work together to find the right solution. Right. And, and how urgent is it or is there a timeline as far as when it's hoped that there might be a solution? Well, it, they said that the dam's been seeping since 2019 and perhaps COVID got in the way um, in the intervening years. But regardless, we know something needs to happen. Um, I think that they're, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to get to some type of a, an agreement 
uh, hopefully Metro Vancouver will be able to assist in that um, in the short term. Is it uh, something, do we know at this point, or is it too early to know what kind of money uh, people might be looking at or, or whoever uh, that kind of falls to as far as money for upkeep or money to, to fix the, the dam that's uh, that's failing in some parts? Yeah, I think that all of that due diligence is at play right now. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure that um, the IOCO folks are also looking at this from a from a lot of different angles, and you know it, the the public interest being one of them. And you know if if people are um, you know providing their feedback in a um, in a way that could potentially impact that decision, that would be a good thing. Um, I'm confident, though, that um, Metro Vancouver and IOCO will come up with the right solution. The, the city has been pretty clear on our concerns, and they, they I think that they are reflected not only in by our um, comments, but also by those that we heard ear, earlier on the program. Right. No, exactly. And and like you said as well, too, I think some of the comments also about the fish that are in that lake and, and what an important lake it is that, that I would imagine even a, a, a small change to it could have some pretty big consequences. Yes. I mean, any like, of course, you're you're any kind of change um, to to the to the lake is going to have an impact from an environmental perspective. And you know when they, ta- they when they came to the meeting, they talked about that there would be a two meter drop in the in the lake, and they mentioned that the lake would drop by two meters. But they only really talked about the depth of the lake going from some something like thirty three meters to thirty one meters. But how will that affect the shoreline? Those are the types of questions that we need to ask as well. One might think that that might create more beachfront, but from my understanding, the beach itself is made up of imported sand that was brought in specifically to extend the swimming area. So obviously this may change the drop-off, perhaps impacting the waiting area, creating um, you know, potentially less safe area for, for people to, to swim. So, I mean, there's a lot more at stake here than just the depth of the lake. It's, we need to be looking at how, um, how the recreation is occurring at, at, at that interface, like with the lake, so that we can ensure that you know, the decision that's, been ma- that's made ultimately is in the best interest of not only the environment, but also the people that use that area for recreation. Right. And two meters, although, I mean, when you when you compare it, so if it's 33 meters in total, but two meters still seems like, like a significant amount. It does. It, it seems, it, well, I mean, that will have a massive impact on the, on the ecosystem. I mean, all of those nutrients and organisms that are underwater, uh, many, you know, the, that two meters of, of uh, shoreline will be, will will be exposed so it's going to change the like sort of the the, the dynamics of that system oh, for- in, in, a, in a very in a very um sort of substantial way i believe and and like you said, this is maybe something that kind of got neglected during COVID. Maybe it just wasn't the top of the priority list. But do you think now that we are hearing from Imperial Oil saying, like you said, they don't need this dam anymore? There's no there's no need for it. That that there will that will kind of get things rolling as as far as trying to find a solution in a timely way. Yeah, I think so. I I, I believe that that is the that was the intention of that delegation when they came and I think they wanted to get that conversation started and they want to hear what people have to say um, so I'm looking forward to hearing what other people have to say I mean you know 
there's lots of people that will be impacted, not just the folks in Fort Moody or Anmore of Valcara. Uh, do you think people need to be concerned? I mean, it's only we're still in January, probably not a lot of people swimming in the lake right now. But as we get into the spring and, and this summer, do you think there there are concerns that there could be changes there uh, come this uh, warm summer season? I really, really couldn't comment on that. I don't know what the timing of this would be, but my suspicion is that we'll take that this these types of decisions don't take months. They take years. All right. Well, we will stay tuned to see what happens next with that. Mayor Megan Lotti, thank you so much for joining us and talking more about this. Thank you so much for reaching out. Thanks for being with us. Well, we have been talking about Bill 36, and it might be something you hadn't heard about, hadn't heard great detail about, but many doctors have raised some concerns about this. It is a bill that streamlines the number of colleges, the disciplinary colleges that we see in this province. It brings some other changes forward as well. The document itself is about 300 pages. Health Minister Adrian Dix was on CKNW earlier today talking about this. He also answered a question about this when he was asked during the news conference on Friday. I'm just asking, I want to ask about Bill 36 because some uh, physicians have expressed concerns about uh, what they say is government overreach. So uh, they've expressed concerns about uh, government having more access to their medical records or more power to mete out uh, uh, more severe discipline against physicians. Uh, What do you say to these concerns? Uh, thanks very much for the, the question and the opportunity to to respond on this question. Um, and I'll, I'll give a slightly longer answer, but if you want more, Katie, I'm happy to give you a call later because uh, there'll be other questions as well, I know. Uh, Bill 36 um, is the first reform of the Health Professions Act in 30 years, considering um, the changes in healthcare in that time. It's a, it's a timely and important reform. It came out, out of... Uh, a very significant report done by uh, uh, an expert in the field, uh, Harry Caton, uh, that was done in response to concerns about um, certain health regulatory bodies, or one, uh, the, the dental profession. The uh, answer goes on from there. It goes on for about six minutes. I'm not going to play the entire thing, but uh, Adrian Dix has been talking about this and uh, explaining why he says it is an important piece of legislation. Well, joining us now to talk more about this is Dr. Joshua Gregane, who is the president of Doctors of BC. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Jill. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Now that we've heard from the health minister and he has come out saying there was a lot of consultation with a lot of participation, including doctors, that this will streamline the number of colleges from the number it is now down to six. Uh, He says there will actually be more transparency and accountability. What are your thoughts on some of the reasons given by the health minister as to why this legislation is important and passed? Uh, thanks for the question. I did listen to uh, Mr. Dix's uh, response last week on Friday, and I did not hear this morning's response. Uh, but ultimately, we believe that modernization of this bill is a good thing. And again, it's a 30-year-old bill, and there is some things that need to change and be adjusted. The process, I think, has been challenging. And I think what the physicians are speaking of currently is the fact they want to be more engaged with 
so that we continue to have some autonomy or some thoughtfulness over our own regulatory bodies. And so that's one of the sticking points, isn't it? That as it is now, so so the way I understand it now, that it is, is it 50% appointed by the health minister and then 50% elected by the professions? Yes, generally the colleges is our self-governing body. And so we have the ability to elect people. And this bill seems as though it's going to be able to appoint further members and a superintendent, which has our clinicians or our members concerned. And the, the health minister said that this will actually lead to more transparency. He said that complaints will not be made public when complaints are made to these, these colleges. Only determinations will be made public, uh, that they automatically will be, whereas now there, there's not that rule of law or that's not something that automatically happens. What are your thoughts on the fact that he's saying this will actually make things more transparent? It's unclear, to be honest, that what exact what exactly it looks like. And so, when we were consulted back 2018-19, when the Caton report came out, there was opportunity for feedback and consultation. But that was three or four years ago now. And so, our members, our physicians, are concerned, alongside other of the associations, around what does the complaint process look like, ensuring that we need to have safety for our members and accountability and transparency to our patients. And what does that mean when you say you need to have safety for your members? So again, we need to be sure that the, the complaints are legitimate and not frivolous. And so the process is for how we actually publicize the complaints or when a complaint is received, what happens with it is really, really important for our members and to protect physicians to ensure that they're not being targeted. Unfortunately, not every complaint is legitimate and not every complaint is true. And so we need to be sure that at this time in healthcare, we're protecting the people that are looking after people, not from a a shirking responsibility, but just to ensure that we are getting our providers, our physicians, the opportunity to then have fair and considerate regulatory regulation. Right. So is your concern then that complaints would be made public? I, I think when the complaints have findings, if that's true, I think there is a public safety element. But again, the process is really important for us as a profession, as should be all the professions. Right. Okay. And I would imagine a scenario then, because that was something that kind of stuck out to me that only he was saying that complaints would not be made public, only determinations would be made public. But if it was a determination that a complaint was frivolous or that there was no merit found to a complaint and that's made public, is your concern that that's still going to be out there, that 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 could still have a negative impact on someone's career, the fact that the complaint was made at all? Absolutely. I think physicians are, are very pride, proud of the work that we do. Physicians are trusted by the public. And so things that are not legitimate or frivolous can be concerning and incredibly stressful. Any of us who have gone through complaints know how stressful that is in general. And in a public forum, that makes it even more stressful at a time when the system and our physicians are already under stress and strain. One of the other concerns brought forward was access to patient clinical records and concerns that this new legislation under these new rules, that there would be there would be more access to patient records. Is that one of your concerns? 
that has been brought forward. I think as we've looked into it further, that that isn't really any different than what it is now, which is if there's a complaint, the investigator can look into a particular chart. But I don't think there's any specific concern that we have as far as the government having access to your patient chart. We as professionals and we as physicians take our confidentiality very seriously. And I don't think this is a serious deviation, although a few of our members have brought forward that apprehension or that worry. Right. And and even in addressing that, the health minister said that he said there are concerns about patient clinical records that somehow this will give individuals in government the chance to seize or copy those records. He says this isn't true. Bill 36 does not allow the government to seize records. Only an independent investigator appointed by an independent registrar at the request of the investigation committee can do so. So is that enough in your mind as far as a reassurance that the records will stay where they're supposed to, even when they are a part of an investigation? I think the message is that's reassuring. But again, the implementation of that and the process is really important that we as physicians have insight into that and are able to, again, work together to make sure that's the case. Simple reassurance by itself is, is, again, reassuring, but might not be enough. And we are really asking for and have now been granted further conversation with the ministry over this bill, over its implications, and really ultimately over our ability to make sure that the work we've done collaboratively to get new payment models and get new opportunities for physicians isn't railroaded by a bill that has a potential to then make physicians apprehensive or fearful to practice. Do you think that is a legitimate concern, though? Because because you're right, and we certainly have spent a lot of time talking about the changes in as far as billing and the ongoing uh, efforts to try and get more physicians, to try and get more doctors to BC. Are you concerned, though, that this this what's included in this bill could act as a deterrent? So I'll lean on on your comment there that yes, we have worked really hard collaboratively with government to make a new future, and we don't want that to have any apprehensions with regards to this bill. And so I think it is a possibility that people are going to pause or think twice, and we need to be sure that, again, as much transparency, as much collaborative spirit that has been successful over the last several months continues on in the either implementation or amendment of this bill so that our physicians continue to feel safe and valued in this province to, again, serve the public that we want to be able to do. And when we talk about the makeup of the boards, and again, so this is is going to be taking, I, I think the numbers that the minister said that there are currently 15 colleges in this province, those are going to be amalgamated. So there will be, and they'll end up being six colleges in total. Uh, He was asked about the makeup and the appointments again of the board. And he said, so currently the Minister of Health would appoint 50% of the board members and the profession would elect at least 23 different colleges board members from the profession. Uh, it It says though, however, it's important to note that these colleges do not represent the profession. They exist to represent the public interest. In other words, they regulate the profession. Uh, that was in the official notes. But then in the answer he gave in that news conference on Friday, uh, he said that as far as people being appointed, he said expertise is developed independently. Uh, it's an oversight body. There is too much variety and standards and so on. This will be a merit-based process looking for people with expertise in regulation, understanding of regulation and how to deal with a complaint process to ensure justice is brought to those processes. Uh, is there a concern there that, that we're looking for people or the people on these boards are going to be all about regulation? but not 
fully understanding of the profession? I, I think that is the concern, right? Not often does regulation always reveal truth. And right now, it is challenging to live and work in an environment that we are currently find ourselves in. And so to have someone who has an expertise in regulation, but not in the practice of medicine, gives our membership and our physicians pause. It's difficult to, again, gauge, you know, what is appropriate and inappropriate if you actually haven't walked in the shoes of a physician or healthcare worker. And that's really why, again, the doctors of BC and our individual physicians want input and insight into this process of the Bill 36 implementation. Right. Even though in a scenario like that, I, I guess you kind of take the leap and think that if somebody is on this board or this board is uh, investigating a complaint, hopefully even even if you're not a doctor, you should be able to talk to the right people or get enough information to make a decision. Yeah, I think, again, the process is really, really important. And to the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been a particular issue that came out to have this bill be a reality. The Cape report had recommendations on the Health Professions Act. And so some of my colleagues are saying, well, why is this important right now? What was the inciting event or what was the issue? And again, our, our continued messaging is, it is important to ensure that we're held accountable for good work and lift it up, but it can't be a blind or uncertain process. We need to be involved in what happens because, again, it's a complex environment for which we're working in. So to hear the minister say uh, one of the, the justifications for this was that this is the first big reform of health prof- the Health Professions Act in 30 years. Is that not enough? I think reform is great. And again, as I said from the start, we believe this is an important process, but it needs to be a process that is done with all of us involved. And now that the bill is passed, the implementation is important. And I continue to believe that the efforts we've made collaboratively with the government over the last six months have made significant gains. And we are asking for, and again, hoping for, and are going to be granted expectedly the opportunity to shape and form that for the benefit, not just of our physicians, but for the public that we serve. Because the last thing we want is to have physicians pause or reconsider or leave because of a legislative change after all the work that we've done to, again, make the ecosystem or make family medicine and primary care such a great place to be in British Columbia in the near future. Do you think these changes will have any impact on patients? Will patients notice any differences? I'm not sure, to be honest. You know, that is, again, one of those process pieces. Right now, patients generally aren't familiar with Bill 36. And I think having conversations around it has been helpful. Um, Most patients aren't involved in the complaint process. Those who have know their lived experience. I can speak from a physician's perspective as all of us generally get involved in the complaint process at some point in our career. It's a stressful process and adding uncertainty or lack of clarity to that process isn't going to be less stressful. It potentially will be more stressful at a time when the system is, again, under duress. Is there anything else then at this point where, so it sounds like the issue over access to patient records has been has been dealt with and there's not as much of a concern there. Uh, is there anything else then that the health ministry could do, do you think at this point, to help ease the concerns that you have raised that some other doctors are continuing to raise? 
I think we've addressed both of them before, which is really around government appointments versus elections. Our self-regulating body has continued to do that well. Transparency on the process of complaints are the two areas. And I expect that in short order, we'll meet with the minister and his team to flush these things out. Because again, we never ever want to compromise the ability to have physicians because of a legislative move after we've spent so much time building up a system that we hope is going to serve patients better in the near future. All right, Dr. Gregain, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today about this. Thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll talk to you again, I'm sure. I'm sure. Thank you very much, Jill. The plan to revitalize Vancouver's Chinatown community was unanimously approved by council earlier today. It's going to cost around $2 million. The aim is to clean up the neighborhood that has been littered, that has been hit very hard by crime and ongoing vandalism. It is called the Uplifting Chinatown Action Plan, and it was something that was brought forward by Vancouver's new council late last year. So joining us to talk a bit more about this is somebody who addressed council before the vote. Ryan Diaz is an MMA fighter, also the owner of DCS Fitness and Martial Arts in Vancouver. Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Thank you for having me, Joe. Uh, you know, when you addressed council, a lot of people were commenting on how you were able to bring that perspective and really tell council and tell others what it's been like operating a business in that neighborhood. Can you tell us a little bit about what you told council? Well, I told them, like, I, I mentioned about how, like, we felt like we were forgotten and, like, no one's helping us and we're alone. I mentioned about all the things that have happened, like, uh, the, Uber, like uh, the Uber Eats driver that got stabbed, the altercation on Main and Hastings uh, with the police officers, the attack on the, Chinese secu- uh, the Chinatown security guard, the anti-Asian hate crimes, like, uh, crimes the ran- random crossbow attack, the, you know, the armed robbery at the TD on the corner, the old man that got hit and got his hip broken. Like, these are just ones that, like, I remember. Like, you just don't even know about the things that happen every day. And you, then I talked about how, how we deal with this daily, on a daily basis. Like, even just two days ago, there was a man who's known to police who's been arrested six times. Like, I'm not ever going to say anything bad about the police because the police are doing their job. They have to, they're arresting the gentleman, and then he spends the night in jail, and they let him go. And it's, they've arrested him six times. And he's, like, what his M.O. is, is he, he likes to walk on the street, try to open doors. And, like, we had parents that were waiting for their children in their cars, and they, they, he opened their door, and they were fighting with him to keep the door closed, and he's begging them for money. Like, you know, it's really scary for people. You know, and that's on top of every day. Like, we're a martial arts school. So, of course, if you see people walk by, you know, they see, like, martial arts happening. And then we have these people in wanting to fight us. Oh, you know how tough I am. You know, I can fight you guys. Like, you know what I mean? It's not cool. And then we've been, we've been attacked, like, with a knife, like, even three weeks ago. Like, someone threatened us with a knife. I'm not saying they, 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 they actually had a chance to hit us. But he's holding a knife right in front of the street, hitting things. And then one day, too, I got a, like, we were, I was threatened. Somebody came in, and I told him to leave. And then all of a sudden, he goes in the front, and he pulls up his shirt, and he had a handle. You know, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a gun. You know, luckily, like, we called the police. The police ran around, found him, and luckily, it was just a hammer. You know, like, one of my employees at 7 a.m. was opening the, opening the studio, and a gentleman went up to her and said, hey, give me some money for your safety. It's just every day. It's constant. 
you know, and then we had like the, oh, that was the one latest news was one of our mothers was waiting out front of the gym and she got hit hard by a gentleman that was being chased by, like, well, he was, I won't say he was chased, he was running away from police, gave her a concussion. They find out that he's been arrested six times for assault. Luckily now he pled guilty and now he's going to be kept in, in prison. You know, like, it just doesn't end. Like the drug, like people shooting up drugs right in front of us. Uh, I, I, the list goes on. Oh, and then theft. You know how many times we've had to chase like people down the street for our neighbors, like because they stole from them and we're chasing after them for them. Like, it, it, the list goes on and on and on. That's, uh, I mean, just hearing you describe that, and, and I know we've talked about it before, but hearing you describe that, I mean, that's, that is not something, I can't even imagine what it's like for you every day coming to work, and like you said, your staff members not knowing what you're going to be dealing with. Well, it is hard. You know, we try to keep everyone safe, and we want everyone to know that we are doing everything we can to keep everyone safe. We offer people, like sometimes we have classes late at night, we tell them, like, hey, if you want someone to walk you to your car, we'll walk you to your car. We'll walk you to the bus. We'll walk you to your bicycle. We'll make sure that you get your bicycle off the lock and you're on your way. You know, like we, we don't want people to be scared. Like that's the number one thing. Like we are, like, and the city as of late has been doing a better job. Like we can see the police walking by, you know, checking. So it has gotten a little bit better over time, like in the last few weeks and stuff. And I'm hoping now with the, with the motion passed today, it'll even get better. But the one thing that really, like I was telling them in council is how could you let us have, like, they're letting people set up tents a block, two blocks away from us, away from kids coming to classes. You know, I'm not saying that it's us. Like I keep reminding everyone, it's not us versus them. But we have to find some ground here or something where you know you help them, but at the same time you keep the innocent safe. Right, and and I'm, I'm I guess I shouldn't be shocked by this, but I guess I am a little bit given that you're an MMA fighter. You and you're talking like you said, there are people in your studio that are doing martial arts, and still people are coming up and threatening you. Oh, they, they these people they have no fear, no care. You know, they might even be on drugs while they're doing it. You know, they're screaming and yelling. You know, like I talk about it. It happens, but it's not like, it's not, it's not, it's not, we've never had a very bad experience. Like, I don't want people to ever think that it's not safe. It's just that it, it's, it's just a lot, like anywhere in Vancouver, like if you can, you can talk to anyone, anywhere in Vancouver, you should be, you know, you should always be aware. Like sure. when I teach women's self-defense courses, I had someone tell me, hey, Ryan, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go around and be scared all the time? And I told them no. When you drive a car, you don't drive a car expecting to get an accident. But obviously, be aware. The one problem with our place is it's like okay, in the road, and it's like you know when you're driving, like yeah, you should always be aware. But the problem with ours is, is there's a lot of bad drivers around us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have to be more aware of it. That's the problem. Uh, and and has it gotten progressively worse? I know that uh, a lot of people saying the last few years, it, it just because with the city kind of emptying out, people staying at home, not as many eyes on the streets, and and people in very uh, bad situations, that it has gotten a lot worse. Okay, it did get worse. I feel like I don't want people to think it's getting like in the last month and a bit, it has actually gotten better. The streets are cleaner. 
and we do see the police presence coming, walking by often. So, like, if you're looking from a bigger, like, a longer-time perspective, from when we first moved to Chinatown eight years ago till maybe last year, yeah, it got progressively worse. And then in just the last bit, it is getting better, okay? The one thing I noticed, and, like, I know this because I'm here. I deal with it every day, and I know what's happening. I'll tell you what the biggest problem is. The biggest problem, and no one ever addresses this problem at all, and I don't know why, is that the rest of Canada comes to Vancouver. They know that I come to Vancouver, the number one thing that people need to know is it's warmer here. It's warmer than, say, Montreal. It's warmer than anything on the East Coast. So it's a lot warmer. It's a lot. Uh, and then they hear that they're getting free housing, free drugs. So why wouldn't you? Like, if you're a homeless person in the rest of Canada, why wouldn't you come to Vancouver? You know, I'm not going to say this. I don't know. I've, I've heard this, but I don't know if this is true. But I've heard that some provinces are even shipping people here. That I'm not, I, I don't quote me on that, but I've heard of that. So I don't know. But I can tell you any problems, like we've had to call the police a few times over the years. And every time that it's somebody that, the, the, that we have to deal with, the police always fill us in on what, you know, like what happened. And I would say more than 70, 80%, maybe 90% of the time, it's always somebody from outer province. Hmm. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I, I get what you're saying. And I know years ago we had heard those stories as well about people in other provinces being given the one-way bus tickets. I'm not 100%. I'm with you on that. I, I don't know that there's any actual proof or, or, or true evidence to show that. But regardless of where people are coming from or how long they've been in BC or what, that, like you say, having tents set up on the street outside your business, having people threaten you with... The, lifting their shirts up and showing the the handle of a hammer not okay and 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 not good for business i would imagine people don't want to be walking through that to come to your to your business either well it's bad you know how many times we've gotten messages telling us like people love our business they love our place they love everything we're doing but they just don't feel safe coming to the neighborhood you know It, it happens all the time and it's not like we like when i mentioned it to council too i talked to them like oh it's been a rough three years for us we already had to deal with covid and surviving that and just like being able to stay in business and now that we have a chance to come back we have to deal with this now like please we need help we we need help you know like i want everyone to know though things have gotten better like it's not like the streets have gotten a lot better since like especially like i'm not saying anything too one thing i noticed is when the elections were happening they totally forgot about us you know now that the elections were done and mayor ken sims in like things are getting done like you know before that it felt like they just left us hanging to dry you know like okay hey you know the way i looked at it is like we don't know if we're going to stay in power like hey or we're going to use this as a political uh agenda and tell you hey we're going to fix this when we get in power you know what i mean but at that point it felt like no one really cared about us. But now, I can tell you now, things are happening. You know, is it can get, it get a lot better? Yes, it can be a lot better help. Because, yeah, it should be, like, it got so bad now that we're still digging out of the hole. With this uh, this announcement or this vote then to, to go ahead, and this is the plan to to revitalize that neighborhood, uh, looking at about a two, $2 million going in to clean it up, what are some of the first things you think would help? What should that money be used for? Obviously, the cleaning up is very important. Like the graffiti, they just let the graffiti go. 
Like, it got to the point where, like, even I had to put commission murals on my building because I wanted to make sure that no one put ugly graffiti on it, you know? So that does help a lot because you walk through, like, it has gotten better. They have, like, there has been many initiatives that have helped do it, but you have to understand, it just, you clean it up, it'll, they'll, they'll, they'll tag it the next day. They'll tag it that night. You know what I mean? So you ask me what, like, what will make it better? That, the graffiti and the cleanup, yes. Also, the, the, like, the security presence. You know, like, I know people feel like, hey, this is not good, but we need that right now. We need people to know that they feel safe and that they are being, like, you know, there is some help being around if they need it. And the other thing that is mentioned a lot is the parking. Like, mm. it's expensive to park in Chinatown. Like, we need people to be able to come here easily. You know what I mean? Like, give us a chance. Like, that's, that's, what, like, that's what we need. We need a chance and we need help. Have you right ever? Now we're not having a chance. Right. Sorry, I'm I'm curious, and and obviously you're still there, and I'm sure that that's good for the community that businesses have stayed. But have you ever felt like just giving up and finding a different location? You know, it's funny. The city asked me that today too. And the thing is that I'll be honest with you, I've never thought about it. Like I'm not. I I'm a fighter, and I've I, I fought my whole life. I've won two world titles. I've had tons of pro fights, and I don't I don't ever like. Giving up is never in my vocabulary, you know. I just keep going, like consistency, and I just keep working hard. That's why, like, even how we survived during COVID, like, I just kept going. And I don't think about leaving, you know. But at the same time, like, I'm not going to even think about that because I have hope and I'm going to be very optimistic that things are going to get better. So, no, and honestly, I've never thought about leaving. All right. Well, Ryan, thanks for joining us today and talking more about this and the vote at council. Hopefully this fund does help the neighborhood, but thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me, Jill.